Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. Let us just ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading of his word. Father, we just pray this morning for your help, for your anointing, Lord, that through the preaching and the proclamation of your word, Lord, that the truth would make men and women free. Lord, that your name will be glorified. Lord, we ask that you'd fill us all with the power of the Holy Ghost to proclaim thy word with boldness. Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask above everything that you would be lifted up and that you would draw men unto yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were together, gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they speak the word of God with boldness. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Just a few weeks ago, we were looking at God's sovereign purpose and understanding God's will and purpose and his counsel that had been determined before to be done, that they knew that they could always look back to the finished victorious work of Calvary and know that in everything that they faced, that Jesus Christ would always cause them to triumph and give them the victory that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Last week we just looked at the threat that they talked about that was against them and we moved into the age in which we're living and the great threat that there is against the church of Jesus Christ and the antichrist system and world that is rising in the days in which we live. Do you know, I thank God this morning that we have an offensive weapon. Amen? It's just not all defense. You know, we, we read in Ephesians chapter 6, that great chapter, of the whole armor of God that God has given us, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the, 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 the sandals for the gospel. But then there is this one phrase, it's the sword of the Spirit. That is, this morning, what is it? The Word of God. We have an offensive weapon. We have an offense. The word offense means a weapon that attacks we're not just here to hold the fort that Jesus comes, but we've been given authority and we've been given power. And that power this morning is in the Word of God. And the devil hates God's Word. 
And he hates people filled with the Holy Ghost and boldness to proclaim the Word of God. We have weapons this morning. Amen? We have weapons this morning that are powerful weapons that are pulling down off strongholds. We have an attack. We have a strategy. It's not just I'm in the corner here getting pounded and pounded and pounded and pounded by the parts of darkness. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we got to lay hold of the old book, the sword of the Spirit. we got to stand up, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Ghost and proclaim the Word of God. That's the power of God and the devil hates the power of the living God, the Word of God. There's not a force in the planet this morning, like the part of His Word spoken by the with anyone who is filled with the Holy Ghost and boldness. Ignorant fishermen stood up in the power of the Holy Ghost and proclaimed the Gospel and 3,000 souls were saved. We are living in a day where there is a great standing up. And so often when we look at that, we are looking at what the devil is doing and it is right to understand that in 1 Chronicles 21 and 1. It tells us there that Satan stood up. Satan stood up. I believe in many respects that in such a day in which we live in, that the devil is standing up against the church of Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, sometimes we got to stand up. we got to lay hold of the sword and the word of the Lord this morning. And I want to encourage you in this message that we got to lay hold of the word and we got to proclaim it with Holy Ghost power. In Hebrews chapter 11, I just want to look at the significance on the power of God's Word. In Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter opens concerning faith. But when we begin to see the power of the Word of God in the midst, and may God just help us this morning to see it, the authority and the power of God's Word this morning. Saints, we're in a battle. But we gotta know, we gotta know how to war. We gotta know how to war. God teach your hands to war. How to war effectively against the powers of darkness. You wanna know how to war? You wanna know how to fight the good fight of faith? You wanna know how to earnestly contend for the faith that once is delivered to the saints? Brothers and sisters, we gotta lay hold of the sword this morning. And Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. And verse 3 says this, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. That's an awesome, an awesome Scripture. The worlds were framed. God said, let there be light. And there was light out of nothing. This is an awesome thought. This is an awesome thought. This is faith. Faith is not just in anything. Faith is in His Word. And it says here that through faith we understand that the very worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. What does that mean? Things that you see this morning. You look out there, you see the skies, you see the hills, 
You see the forest. You see the sun. Last night, you'd have seen the stars. This morning early, there was a deep frost across the, the ground. You've seen it all. And friends, that's the visible. But all of that came about by the invisible. It came about by nothing. That confounds the greatest intellectuals of this world, the scientists and all the intellectuals that gather together. Are you honestly telling me that this whole universe and this whole world in which we walk was formed and created simply out of nothing? Yes. Because that's what the Word of God says. When God spoke and the power of His Word and the power of the Holy Ghost brought about into being this universe in six days, God created the heavens and the earth and everything that was in it. This is the power of His Word. Holy Ghost boldness. The proclamation of His Word with the Holy Ghost in power has the ability to change those things supernaturally by His power. Young Tristan this morning, by the Word of the Lord, Peter, in a moment is transformed. This is the power of His Word. As we recoil into being anxious, don't worry about it. I'm not worried about anything this morning about the activity, what's going on. But brother, this morning, he sends his word and heals their diseases. It's the power of his word. It's the power and the authority of his word. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, you know many of these verses, but I want to just touch on them this morning just to build where we're going. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Would you read this verse with me? Just proclaim it this morning, the Word of God. Hebrews 4 and 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Praise the Lord. It is quick. It is powerful. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. This is the Word of God. It will be a light and a lamp. It will, be a, it will satisfy us. It will encourage those that are discouraged. It will rebuke those that need rebuke. It will feed us. It will direct us. It will sustain us. It will protect us. It will heal us. It will give us hope. It gives us faith. It's God's living Word. And it's a powerful weapon against the foe. Jesus is the Word. In John chapter 1, if you turn to these verses, I know we know them well, but it's important. John chapter 1 verse 1 tells us this is why the emphasis needs to be upon the Word of God in these days. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now the Jehovah Witnesses and all the cults, the Mormons, the Muslims, and everything that goes with it, if you're ever stuck and they get you and they try to entice you into some type of debate, don't debate, just proclaim. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And here's, here's the divine Christ, the eternal one. And the Word was God. That's Jesus. And verse 14 says that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He's full of grace and He is truth. That's Jesus Christ. When He came, He told us that He is that living bread, that He's come down from heaven. It's the neglect. Listen, it's the neglect of the Word today. And we wonder why our nation is in the condition that it's in. We wonder why the church is in the condition that it's in today. It is because of the neglect of the book. That is why, friends, you want to know why we're in the state we're in? It's because this nation has turned from the living Word of Almighty God. What made Britain great was not its armies, was not its navy, was not its great and grand palaces. What made great Britain once great was that it was founded upon the precious Word of the living God. And the nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. That's what the book says. And so this morning it's a neglect of this Word. If we neglect this Word, if we neglect the Word of the living God, listen brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about just just reading through it in an intellectual way. We, we knew so, Nicky worked with a man once in a school. He was a reader in the Anglican church. And that means he would read the Scriptures every Sunday. But the same man was having an adulterous relationship and, and he was wearing all the gowns and wearing all the stuff and had all the prestige of living. Listen, these people cried in this early church, Lord, behold their threatenings. Now grant unto us boldness. It's the power of the Word with the Holy Ghost. And that's when it becomes alive. Without the Holy Ghost this morning, brothers and sisters, we can quote, we can talk, we can speak, but we need the breath of God to come into the meeting to make it alive. It's a living Word. It's not a dead letter. And this living Word comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4 and verses 2 to 4, if you turn to it, just to understand the emphasis that the Lord would put upon the Word, the Word of God, Matthew 4, 2. I know a lot of these things are, are basic to most this morning, but it's important to go back over these simple truths. In Matthew 4 and 2, in the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, Three times the devil, that is Satan, came to the Lord as a man. He was a man, but he's still the Almighty. He was the God-man. And it says, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, so the response to the powers of darkness was to turn the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He brought forth the Word of God against the attack of the enemy. Do you see this? We want to know about warfare this morning. No one greater to look to than Jesus. He's the teacher. He's the master. And so when the enemy came, the Lord pointed him to the Word of God. It is written... And what did he say? Man shall not live by bread alone. Now I just want to bring out a point here. 
Because Jesus was saying, of course, there's the natural realm. We need bread to live. We need bread to be sustained in the natural. But Jesus is saying there's a natural realm that we live in every day. That we need sustenance. We need bread for that natural life. But that isn't enough to sustain us in this spiritual fight that we're in. It's about the natural man and the spiritual man. You understand? If we simply are living in the natural realm, if we just simply live our lives in the realm of the natural, we're feeding, we're eating, we're going, we're doing, we're busy. We're talking about this the last couple of days. Just You can just end up becoming busy. Isn't that right? Isn't it a busy world? Isn't it just, it just seems to be that we're constantly busy. And some of those things is life. That's the way life is. But if we just constantly run in the realm of the natural, what happens to us? Our spiritual man begins to suffer. And so the enemy comes and he begins to pound. Isn't that right? Isn't that what happens? Jesus is saying you cannot live by bread alone in that natural means. But you must live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is that word? Have you got a Bible this morning? That's the Word of God this morning. This is the Word of God. This is the authority in all matters. This is the authority in everything. We are subject to God's Word. Now this Word, it's important this morning because, you know, I've heard over the years many people talk and preach and and proclaim and say we are people of the book. And we are people of the book. But I I want you to note this. Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians 3 and 6. He has made us able ministers of the New Testament. And then he says these words. I want you to listen. Not of the letter. Why? What happens if we just run the rule this morning and say we're just going to live in the letter of the Word? What happens? The letter kills. But it's in the Spirit. It's of life. The truth makes us free. It doesn't come to kill us. The Word of God is proclaimed. The message of the Gospel is hope. It's deliverance. It's life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So the the law or the letter of it, we can say, well, I have fundamentally everything in place. But friends, fundamentally speaking, in this wee country, we have a lot of fundamentalism. But it's dead! Because there's no power of the Holy Ghost. And that's the tragedy. We have our statement of faith. We have everything in place. We have everything in order. We have every T crossed. We have every I dotted. Everything looks perfect. But brothers and sisters, it has brought death. Why? Because they prayed, Lord, now grant unto your servants that by the power of the Holy Ghost we would proclaim your word. We have left out the most important part of the proclamation of the gospel. What is it? It's the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. Anybody need the Holy Ghost this morning? We need the power of the Holy Ghost. Friends, I believe we're longing. We're we're crying into the depths of our heart for a breath of God to come and quicken, quicken us in these days. They said, here is the Spirit. Here is the Spirit of the Word, and here is the Spirit that gives, of, gives life. God, confirm your Word. What did they say? 
with healings, amen, with signs and with wonders. Now we're getting quieter on the amens. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, the word preached in the power of the Holy Ghost will be confirmed with healings, praise the Lord, with signs, praise the Lord, and with wonders. Supernaturally, the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what the Holy Ghost will do. He'll take the word of God as a man, weak and frail as he is, the foolishness of preaching, and as he begins to open his mouth, he may stammer through, he may trip up in his grammar, he may not get it all together, but when he's trusting in and believing in and holding on to the, the, the truth of God's word and the Holy Ghost comes down, he takes the words of a stammering, ignorant fisherman and 3,000 souls are swept into the kingdom. I heard people say, those, those days are over. Who told him that? I'm sure this, I hear people pray something like this sometimes. There's no longer going to be this. And, there's, and I'm going, well, these people, where do they come from? Who knows that God would raise up a D.L. Moody again? Who knows? Who could say that God will not raise up another Amy Carmichael? Pray to God that God would raise up an Amy Carmichael or a D.L. Moody or a Billy Sunday. Pray to God that God would raise up a B.S. Clendenin or a David Wilkerson. Pray to God again that our stadiums would be filled with evangelistic meetings and men proclaiming the gospel and thousands weeping to the cross. Oh, we don't believe that that's going to happen. Who told them that? See, we get gone into this some wee type of square box here and then we begin to pray according to our... God's not in our box. God desires to do it. And may he do it. And may he do it. And we grant unto your servants with all boldness we proclaim your word again. And so, it's this prayer right where we are in my life. God grant me boldness. The Word of God under the power of the Holy Ghost supernaturally changes things more than what we can think or even ask. More than what we think or ask. In Romans chapter 4, if you would turn to these couple of verses, I want you to see men who believed in the Word of God, what happened. See, what God's asking us to do today is to trust Him. What God's asking us to do today is to believe Him. He's not asking us to do anything else, but will you believe His Word? Will you believe him for who he is? And Romans 4 and verse 16, we're speaking of Abraham. And it says here, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is also of the faith of Abraham. Now, that seed is you and I this morning. Galatians tells us that we are the seed of Abraham through faith who is the father of us all, as it is written. He's the father of us all. Now listen to these words this morning. I have made thee, this is what God said to Abraham, I have made thee a father of many nations. Now we're sitting in the good of that this morning. We're sitting, we're sitting hundreds of years after this and we're saying, well, isn't that lovely? Before whom he believed, even God, listen to these words, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. I want, you to, I want you to hear that again. Who quickeneth the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were. 
This is, a, this is simple this morning, but it's profound. Because it, it affects every one of us and every walk and every life and every home and everything of what we face. How many people are facing something that's impossible? I mean, really impossible. How many people are looking at a circumstance in your home, and your life? It's impossible. Anybody? Praise the Lord. How many of us are looking at our nation and saying, it looks impossible? It's not right. It's not how we feel. It's a mess. Isn't it a mess? I mean, you couldn't even do the mess if you tried, but we have done it. Our MPs have done it. And so here we read of a man that believed God, that God called him, God called him a father of many nations. And he believed God. You see, there's so many stories in the Bible, so many accounts in the Bible, I should say, that when we look at them, we often go, well, I know what that's referring to. It's referring to this in the end times. This here particular scripture, that refers to Israel. That particular scripture is the church. And we, we, we miss sometimes what really God is showing us. For example, Ezekiel chapter 37, the great chapter on the valley full of dry bones. Isn't it a great chapter? And I know it's to do with Israel, but it can be to do with any stage or any time of any season or any culture that you come to a valley full of dry bones. Anyone ever been there? Is our nation not like a valley full of dry bones? And the bones, as Brian often reminds us, they're very dry. And so there's a prophet standing in the middle of these bones. And the Lord says to him, here's the emphasis. Don't miss this. Prophesy to the bones. Prophesy to the bones. And there's a prophet standing in the midst. And the Lord's saying, do you know that these bones can live? Do you believe that? And the prophet's saying, Lord, thou knowest. And so the Lord says to him, now you take my word. Remember the word of God. And you begin to speak my word into a valley full of dry bones. It's madness, isn't it? But he's a God that calleth the things which are not as though they were. He's a God that quickens the dead and that which is impossible. And he makes it possible. And all he was asking was a faithful servant, a man or a woman or a boy or a girl to stand in the valley full of dry bones and begin to prophesy and believe God. And what happened? There was a shaking in the valley. The valley that was dry bones became a mighty army. Who can, where's the emphasis? It's in the power of God's word that God is asking us to trust Him. Just believe me, I can turn this around. We heard it this morning. I can turn this around. I can make that which is impossible, possible. Can God do it? He's looking for someone to stand in the valley and begin to prophesy the word of the Lord, to believe Him, and then the power of the Holy Ghost begins to come. Now, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Really? Genesis chapter 17. Just turn away back to where this all began. The covenant that God would make with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. It's what God's looking of His people, friends. It's just to trust Him. Just to believe Him this morning. In Genesis 17. Listen to this. Verse 1. Genesis 17 verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine... 
when he was 99 years old. Right? He's 99. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. That's the El Shaddai. Do you know where you find this revelation of the Lord? More than any other book in the Bible, there's one book that's found over 30 times. you know where it is? A man that was going through a lot of trouble. What was his name? Job. So every time that the Lord, nearly every time that the Lord was appearing to Job, He appeared to him as the Almighty. Are you really struggling this morning? Are you really going through a difficult season? Are you really going through a deep trial? He comes to us as the Almighty. Does that not encourage us? What's he trying to put into the heart of a struggling saint? He's trying to say, you can trust me because all things are possible to them that believe. I can turn this around in a click of a finger. I can turn that which is dead into that which is living. I can create something that is nothing into something that's beautiful. I created the earth and the heavens and the universe and all the stars. I'm the Almighty God. And Job's going through the midst of it all. And God's saying, you can trust me because I'm going to turn this. It says there in Genesis 17, walk before me, be perfect, and I will make a covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. God said that. Who said that? God said that. Abraham, what age was he? You remember? He's 99. Abraham, he's a father at this stage of one. And he made a mistake in doing that, by the way. And there he's on the 99. The Lord says, you are going to be a father of many nations. Think about it. I know we're living in this day and we can look back and say, amazing story. But if you were 99 and the Lord appeared to you and said, Peter, you're going to be the father of many nations. How is this going to happen? How could this be? Because Sarah's womb is now dead. This is never going to happen. And sadly, folks, see if you got along with, if it happened in the modern realm, and it happened in the modern church, and you told someone what God was about to do, they'd soon discourage you and talk you out of it to believe in God. And so God spoke and said, you're going to be a father of many nations. Neither more shall you be called Abram, but your name's going to be, shall be Abraham for a father of many nations. And here's key words. I want you to see this this morning. For a father of many nations... I have made you. Think about this. I have made you. That's an awesome, just think about it. I've made you that. Abraham, he was daddy of one at 99. And God said, I've made a covenant with you. I am going to make you something that's going to be so profound, but I'm going to keep my covenant with you. What I'm asking you to do, Abraham, as I'm going to ask you to trust me and walk before me. It's awesome, isn't it? The Bible 
tells us clearly that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And God makes us. You know, God has made, made us and has a purpose for our lives. You, you know that this morning? Listen to me. In a world where identity is being completely destroyed by the powers of hell, in a world where we, we want to make everyone the same, you know, it's a, it's a world to try and remove gender, male, female. It's a world to try and remove any type of individual identity. Let me tell you something. Every person in this room is uniquely and wonderfully and fearfully created by Almighty God. You are unique. You are unique. There's no one like you. You're unique. God's got a purpose and a plan for your life to make you into the man and the woman of God that he wants you to be. The purpose of God is for God to save your soul, is for God to fill you with the power of his Holy Ghost, and for God's plan to be worked out in your life. What does he ask us to do? Abraham, walk before me. You trust me. You look at all these great men and women of the Scripture, you'll find, like Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, Lord, but I am, I am just a child. Can God use a child? I'm only a young person. Can God use a young person? Can God raise up a young man or a young woman and put the purposes of God in their life? Can God use them for his glory? And Jeremiah said, Lord, but I can't do this. In Jeremiah 1 and 17, this is what the Lord says, For behold, I have made thee this day a defense city. Jeremiah, I have made you a prophet of the Lord. God made him that. In Ezekiel, he said, I've made thee a watchman. With Peter, he said, I'll make you a fisher of men. It was the faith in the word of the Lord, what God had said and purposed, that they trusted him, and God brought it around in his time. Grant unto your servants with all boldness we would preach preach this gospel with the power of the Holy Ghost. They believed his word. Today, folks, the challenge really to us is trusting his word and believing that his word is able to do the exceedingly abundantly more than we can think or ask. In the midst of famine, in the midst of a famine of hearing of the Word of God, in the midst of decay and apostasy, has God changed? Has His Word changed? Has His power changed? Is He still the same God of Acts chapter 4 as He is today? And the challenge is, are we going to trust Him? The Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, my word that shall go forth out of my mouth that shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God's word under the power of the Holy Ghost is a potent weapon against the foe. His word will accomplish that what he sent it to do. It shall not return empty. Do you believe that this morning? Think about it. Promises of God the purposes of God, the calling of God, God's purpose for your life, God's plan for your life. God has called, God has purposed. God said, I'll make you, I'll make you the man or the woman that I've called you and purposed you to be. 
I will make a way when there is no way. I will provide everything for you. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will protect you. But I will do it. I am the Almighty God. I am the El Shaddai. Walk before me. That's what he said. And then we have to trust him. Then we have to face our disappointments. Then we have to face our own failures. Then we have to face our own battles of our own minds. Then we have to face the powers of darkness. Then we have to wrestle through and all the activities of life that go on around us. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, God's word never fails. That's what he's saying. It shall not return unto me empty. It says, for ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace in the mountains and the hills shall break forth before you and the singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. It's powerful. When God turns it, when we trust Him, when we believe His Word. And so they said, Lord, by stretching forth your hand to heal the signs and wonders may be done by the name of your holy child Jesus. Verse 31 says in Acts 4, and I'm coming to an end in a moment, but I want to get the really what I believe is absolutely the greatest need of our day in Acts 4 and 31. Just read these few words of that. Verse 31, and when they had prayed. I just, if I could ask you to stop for a moment, when they had prayed, when they had prayed, when they had prayed, would you say that phrase, when they had prayed, when they had prayed, when they had prayed, when they had prayed. Think about it. When they had prayed. Brothers and sisters, the church needs to pray. Listen, the church needs to pray. You hear me this morning? The church needs to pray. I'm not talking, now listen, I'm not coming and, and looking for people to come and pray sermons in the prayer meeting. A lot of praying today is praying what you think should happen and whether you're happy with the church or not and whether you like the pastor or not, whether you like the worship leader or not and what way this should be. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that's not praying. That's moaning. And there's an awful lot of moaning. That's not praying. But God's so impressed. God's not impressed at all, friends. That type of praying hits the ceiling, comes down, and racks my ears and everyone else's ears. You listening to me this morning? I want we need to get to a serious place where we pray. And real prayer is a cry from the depth of a heart that goes right to the throne of grace and says, God, Lord, we need you to come. It's not praying, trying to get everyone else sorted out. Friends, we heard it this morning around the table. The Bible says, examine yourself. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I have enough hard work working out my salvation without working out yours. We need to pray. Real prayer, real prayer, is when there's a communion of the heart of the church as individuals and the very throne of grace. 
It, it goes beyond all the spiritual realms, apparatus, intellectualism, all the stuff and all the ideas and everyone's opinion that's all around us, but it just pushes through all of that weight and that weariness and that cloud and that darkness and it cries out, God, we need you! It begins to groan under the weight of all the apparatus and all the powers of darkness and all the stuff that goes on in our lives. When they prayed, they began to call out to God. They lifted their voice as one. They broke through religion. They broke through their pride. They broke through their respectability. They broke through all the nonsense that goes on and all the politics and all the what fors and whys. And they cried and say, God, we need you. And God comes across the great universe and all the great planets and he comes right down into a wee upper room of Jerusalem. And he enters into a room by the power of the Holy Ghost. With weak and frail people saying, Lord, if you don't come, we're, we're dead. And that was true. When they prayed. When they prayed. I want to ask you a question. When do you pray? I'm not talking about coming to God and telling God everything of what He should do. There's so much pride. We're telling God what you should do, what you are, what way it should be, what way the church should be, what way this should be, what way church government should be, what way on what... Brothers and sisters, when do you pray? When do you pray? I'm not talking about just, just our ideas. That just we're trying to put it on to someone else what we think. When does that heart begin to cry out to God and begin to, you know, there's a lot of things about what way, what way is it supposed? Do you know what I believe that prayer really is? It's a cry from the heart of a man or a woman that knows that this God's alive. He's a living God. He's not a dead God. And he's a God that hears and he's a God that answers. And it's a cry from the depth of a heart. It's not just going through the rituals. It's not ticking a box in the morning. It's not, I've done my prayers, I've done my reading, and then that's me for the day. Brothers and sisters, it has to be a communion that goes into the depths of a being, and there's a river right in there, and that river and the groanings of the Holy Ghost. It's an intercession. It's a cry that breaks through all the powers of darkness, and it reaches the throne of God. And the Almighty God, Jesus Christ, is on the throne. And He comes in all His fullness and all His grace. And He answers. When the church prayed, I wonder really when the last time, and I say this including me, the last time in a collective sense for the church, and this might sound a very bold statement, but it's just a question more than I believe it's definitive. When's the last time that a church in Ireland north, south, east, or west, whatever the denominational name is above the door. But when the last time a group of people gathered in like fashion as we are this morning, whatever the title above the door, whatever the man standing behind the pulpit, when is the last time that the church really, truly prayed? Really prayed. Not say prayers but really got down to praying on, a, on an altar, on their knees, 
prostrate before the Lord true worship, true intercession, true prayer, and began to cry out to God, God, would you come? When they prayed, when they prayed, when's the last time? Do you really, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I feel it in the depths of my heart this morning. I, I, friends, I can tell you, I would love to say that I'm living in the fullness of all this. I'm not. There's a cry, Lord, bring us to that place of prayer. Do you understand what I'm saying? But I know that the times that I've really met with the Lord, I can remember one particular time where I had such a meeting with the Lord. I tell you, folks, I was at the edge. I was at the end. I was, I was at the actual brink of it all. And I can remember going down to the School of Christ meetings one time. And I was at the very edge of it. And, and I said to Nicky, I'll go down, just get a couple of days in these meetings. I can remember coming into the hall. I didn't see anybody. I didn't hear any preaching. But I knew when I was coming into that hall, I had to meet with God. I had to meet with God. I couldn't leave there the same way. I had to meet with God. And friends, all I can remember is when I got to maybe about the third row, before I got to the altar to pray, my knees began to buckle, my heart began to break, and a cry went up to God, and He came in all His fullness and baptized me afresh in the Holy Ghost. Friends, suddenly everything was different. It was all changed. When they had prayed, when they had prayed, I tell you the greatest ministry we need in the church today is people that pray, know how to pray. The greatest need in the church today is intercessors. The greatest ministry in the church today that I see is people that know what it is to lay hold of the horns of an altar and begin to cry to God with tears and pray. When they had prayed, the Bible says the place was shaken. They were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Can I say that again? They were all filled they were all filled. Listen now, I know we're in doctrinal crocodile water. They were all filled. Would you say all? It's in the Bible, by the way. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I hear a lot of people then say, well, what about them? They don't believe that. And what about them? They don't believe. What about them? I don't mean that unkind. When, when the disciples said to the Lord, what about him? The Lord said, you just don't worry about him. You follow me. I, I'm not here to sort out anybody else, but I'm here to preach what I believe this morning according to the word of God. The Bible says they were all filled. All filled. Isn't the Lord inclusive? Praise the Lord, isn't he? Didn't he die for the whosoever? And doesn't he want to fill the whosoever? But they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. The greatest need of our day, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of good things that we may need. 
We might need a good Bible school. We might need good worship. We might need many things that are good and they're right, they're not wrong. But the greatest need of our day, the greatest need of our day, is men and women full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost. That's what the church believed for. That's what they knew was available. That's what they asked for. Praise God, that's exactly what they got. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Do you know what you need this morning? Don't say this. Do you know what we need? Do you know what you need? Do you know what I need? No, we all need. No, we all need, brothers and sisters. We all need to be full of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you something. Probably about 95% of the problems in this room this morning would be sorted in an instant by the power of the Holy Ghost falling upon us. Actually, I should say 100% because it'll all work out anyway. What does it take to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Don't write this down. This is not a formula. You know, I've heard so many formulas over the years. I know that when God filled us with the Holy Ghost, really filled us with the Holy Ghost in 2002, do you know what our formula was? We were wrecked. We were done. We were we were broken. We were burnt out. We were. It was like, as Christians, we just felt we were certainly me anyway, but we were at the end. You know what the formula was? We run to an altar and cried out to God, and He came. Mm-hmm. Don't buy a book on it. The answer was we just got down, said God, we we're a mess. Would you forgive us? He did. You know what he'd done? It was like a revival came to our hearts. We were instantly, totally, wonderfully. I often say it, it's not, please don't re- repeat this. I often say this here, it was like we were born again, again. It's not theologically doctrinally correct. The fundamentalists will kill me for it. But that's what it was like. It was like everything of what it is, he just made it so real, but brought it so deeper. And friends, we were so filled with the power of the Holy Ghost that our lives have never been the same. We've never been able to settle for anything else. We've never been able to settle for death. There's times you go through seasons, but you can't settle. We have visited other meetings, and there's other great churches, and they're on fire for God, and it's wonderful. But sometimes we've gotten into other types of meetings. I'm there maybe 10 seconds, and I know I nearly want to start crying. There's a... A witness of the Holy Ghost when you go into a meeting in our church and the power of God's there and the word of God's proclaimed and it's quickened. Here's the formula. Do you need the Lord? Here's the formula. Are you tired of yourself? There's three of us. But we're tired of the rest of you. But no way, Joe. You're tired of yourself. You need the Lord. Do we need Him? How many people really need Him this morning? Like really, God. God, you need to come. 
when they prayed, the place was shaken. The place was shaken. What does it take to be filled? You saved, you love him, he loves you. Your name's in the last book of life, there's a great purpose, he's going to make you something. Do you need him this morning? Just tell him. Come with all the brokenness. Come with all the dryness. Come with all the death. Come with all. Just come. Lay our pride at the door. Lay our differences at the cross. Make it right if we need to. But come with faith in his word because his word this morning, the power of his word can make that which it isn't, make it possible. Just come with faith in his word, trust him. But when they prayed, they knew what it was to just begin to call out to God. When they prayed, the Holy Ghost came. You know, so many times we pray, but let's be honest, we haven't even expected them to answer it when we've just prayed it. Why? Because we're already in the car trying to get the oven on to get the dinner. We actually prayed something we didn't believe, and we weren't certainly expecting them to do it. We have so become accustomed in so many respects that God's prayers are always delayed. Sometimes they are. But whatever happened to the wonderful word suddenly? Suddenly. They prayed, suddenly! God came. When they prayed, come expect them. Come believe them. Just come. Call out to God. When the church prayed, Oh God, would we pray? Would we pray? Would we really call out to God? If you really need Him this morning, then we're going to call out to God. You're going to speak to Him. Not through a pastor, not through anybody. You're going to just speak to God. I encourage you, open your heart and begin to pray. What is prayer? Talk to him. Call on him. Cry out to him. Friends, there's not one person in this room. We're not going to be put off by someone's tears. We're not going to be put off by someone calling out and raising their voice. 30 times or more in this book, there was a shout. God's people shouted out. That's not because God's deaf. It's because we need to release, open these hearts and call out to God. God help me. How many people really need him this morning? It's when the church prayed. We're going to pray, folks. We need to pray. Father, this morning we just humbly bow before you. We know that you know all things. There is nothing hid from you. Lord, we don't want to come with any fig leaves of religion, of what we have created to try and hide 
behind anything. We just want to be honest, open our hearts, rend our hearts before you, Lord. In this house this morning, there are many, many, many people that have said, oh God, we need you. They need you. Lord, they just need you. It's not something that you give, but it's just you to come in your glory and your power by the power of the Holy Ghost. And I just ask, Lord, would you grant unto your servants, your people this morning, the faith to believe and the heart to give and the cry, the groanings of the Holy Ghost to come. Lord, not manufactured of man, not manipulated of man, but just in the heart of a church, this wee local assembly. Lord, May we know what it is to pray. Just a heart that cries to God. And Lord, we believe your word. That you come and that you fill all. Oh Jesus, this morning, would you touch these lives afresh this day? Lord, cause us to pray. Make us willing, Lord. Deal with our hearts, Lord. Deal with the stubbornness. Deal with our pride. Deal with our resistance. But, oh God, Lord, we just ask, would you come? <coughs> do what only you can do. We believe your word this morning. We believe your word, Lord. We believe your word. Trust you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name.